Thanks, guys. Good morning, Sterling. Uh, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. It's always a privilege to be able to stand up in this pulpit and bring to you God's word. For those of you who don't know who I am, um, my name is Joe, or Joey, or Joseph. I go by all three. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's great to uh, have you with us today. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verses 15, and we will go through to chapter 2, verse 7. Um, if you don't know where it is, find uh, the book of Psalms, then start heading toward the New Testament, and then you'll find uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Songs. So that should, and, and Psalms is pretty much like flat bang in the middle. Uh, so you should be able to find that uh, quite easily. Um, but before we get going, over the last couple of weeks, a number of people have come to me and just said, hey, Joe, just wanting to check why are we approaching the Song of Songs with uh, this interpretation? Why are we looking at the Song of Songs um, by pointing toward Christ uh, as often as we are? And, uh, and in order to explain that, I just need to let you know there are a number of views on how Song of Songs is interpreted. And the first is, uh, of, uh, there's three, and I'm going to tell you briefly, as quickly as I can. And you can look at Matt's sermon on week one. He really goes into this in detail if you want to re-listen to it. Uh, but there are three uh, ways to look at it. And the first is more of a natural approach. People just say, this is, a, this is a love poem about a real man and a real woman, and that's all it really is. Uh, there's nothing more to it than that. And so as we read it, we get to glean uh, lessons for marriage in this book. And then the second one is on the other end of the spectrum. It's what we'd call an allegorical approach. It is an approach which says this has nothing to do uh, with a man or a woman. It was written with a pure intention of using this imagery to talk about Jesus um, and or his love, God's love for his people. And so that's the interpretation. So there's no natural part of this at all. And where we find ourselves as a church, we kind of land more in a, in a middle approach. We believe that this is a real love story that was written about a real man and a real woman. Uh, but we approach it as a, uh, what we call a, a typology, uh, which is saying that while this is a real love story with real lessons for us to learn about marriage in it, there, it's a type of Jesus' love for us. That's where we get the word type from. So there are, there's a higher spiritual significance for us to learn from in this. And there's a, there's a number of those things in Scripture. For example, the Passover. The Passover was a real event with real lambs being slaughtered, with real blood uh, being uh, put on the doorposts of homes. And there was a real angel of death that came over and real people who died and real people who lived. Uh, but it's a typology of Jesus, and there's a greater spiritual significance in that Jesus is the Lamb of God. His blood was shed for us, and in Jesus we pass from death to life. Does that make sense? And so in, as we look at the Song of Songs, there is some real significant, this is a real story, but there's a higher spiritual significance in which we are looking at, and that's Christ's love for us. So with that in mind, uh, let us read uh, verses, uh, chapter, chapter 1, verses 15 all the way to chapter 2, verse 7. I say all the way, it's not very, very long at all. The groom speaks first. He says this, Behold, you are my beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. And she responds back, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And he responds to her and says, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. 
And she responds back to him and says, as an, apple tree among tr- uh, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and, with f- and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his uh, banner, of, uh, banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the fields, that you do uh, that you and not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we, we thank you for this book that points us wonderfully to the love of Christ for us. Um, and I pray uh, this morning as we uh, do this that the words that come out of my mouth will not be my own, but will be uh, yours, and they would make much of Jesus. That, Lord, you would stir a deep affection in our heart for Christ. You would call us back to yourself, as Lawrence has prayed a lot this morning. Those who have had wondered, as we have maybe wondered in our hearts, that there would be this undivided loyalty toward Christ again. And you would stir us toward you for more, uh, for more of you, to love you more. Uh, for the glory of Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 15, he says these words about his bride. He says, behold, you are, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. He calls her beautiful, um, but he doesn't just stop and say, hey, you're beautiful. He, he goes into specific details of why she's beautiful. I was listening to a, a lady a number of years ago on marriage advice, and she said to the gentleman, if you want to make your wives feel special, don't just call them beautiful. Tell them why they're beautiful. Point out something specific. Say that your hair looks good or your eyes are good or those shoes look great. That handbag goes well with your outfit, which is probably something we wouldn't notice. But when we do, they feel extra special when you point something out specific about them. And so here we see Solomon does that. So this groom goes and says, you are beautiful, and it's particularly your eyes. And he says, your eyes are like that of doves. I don't know if that would go down well with my wife, uh, to say your eyes are like doves. But seemingly, it seems that uh, in Jerusalem and in Israel during that day, that the eyes of doves were admired. They were large, they were oval, they were clear, they were shiny. And uh, there was the sense of going, they were admired by people that look at these wonderful doves' eyes. I looked at a pigeon's dove's eyes yesterday, by the way, they don't look the same. Um, they were small, round, and yellow, not great. Um, and and he, he, he says, no, yours like doves. And, and in, in ancient Israel, the eyes were important uh, to people. If you consider, remember Leah and Jacob. Uh, Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, but he loves Rachel. And the reason why he, it, it's given in Scripture that he doesn't have an attraction toward Leah is because her eyes were weak. Or Jezebel, who's about to be uh, killed by Jehu, and he, she's worried and she's trying to, as she's done with many people, manipulate them. She adorns herself with beautiful clothes, and it says she painted her eyes. She, she tried to make her eyes look beautiful so she might grab his attention and maybe he wouldn't go through with his plan. And so in our day as well, eyes are something that is captivated with beauty. Uh, ladies put on eyeshadow and eyeliner, and they're probably something else they put on as well, but to make their eyes pop out and stand out amongst us, because eyes are something beautiful. But for Christ as well, he talks about our eyes. As Christians, he has a particular kind of eye that he likes. And we see this in Matthew 6, verses 23, uh, 22 and 23. Jesus speaking here says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the, eye in you, uh, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The word healthy here in the ESV might be translated in your translation as good. Um, the King James Version probably gets it most accurate with the word straight. It's having a straight eye, not a crooked eye. Not eyes that are looking up in different directions. They're having a, an eye, and it literally means a, a single purposeness, a undivided loyalty. We are keeping our eyes fixed on that. That's beautiful for marriage and, and relationships, right? Knowing that your spouse or your partner doesn't have eyes that wander very easily, but are, have eyes for you alone. Well, in a similar, similar way with God, we see that he is a jealous God. In, in, uh, in Joshua 24, verse 19, it says, he is a jealous God. <laughs> and God is without sin, however, he, and what he does is righteous. And I know jealousy can sometimes be an awful thing to have, and certainly is put down as a sin at times. But when it's with God, he is jealous about us because he loves us with such an incredible amount of love. He doesn't want us to be destroyed by idolatry. And he wants us to have an eye, a single purpose, an undivided loyalty on him and him alone. We see that in the context he says that in. Just beforehand, he says those famous words, I'm sure you've heard them before where he says, do not build up treasures on earth, but store them up in heaven. Because if you build them up on earth, don't worry, rust and moths and thieves will destroy it. They'll break in and take it. So don't focus there, rather focus on the eternal things. Focus on me, focus on my, my kingdom, focus on those things. Have an undivided loyalty toward that. And if you do that, says Jesus, you'll be full of light. Light will shine within you. And if we just take the normal connotations of what light can mean, it's, it's that of revelation, right? Last night in Ganubi, while the football was playing, uh, the lights went off. It went dark. I couldn't see anything. And around about 10 past 9, they came on, and I could see again. Light is revelation. It shows us the things. And also it shows that of purity. It, it helps us to, it's also a connotation for purity. And so a Christian who keeps their eyes fixed on Jesus, who has this healthy eye on him and his kingdom, they have revelation of who he is. They have a greater understanding of who he is. They have a greater understanding of the kingdom principles. They have a greater understanding of his love for them. And, and also they'll be characterized by others who see them as people who are pure and holy. And so we as people, as Christians, need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. But I think it goes further than that. It isn't just an inward light that stays inwardly, but rather people who have their eyes fixed on Jesus, have undivided loyalty. We become a light in a broken world. Think of what Jesus has said before at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount in, in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. It's when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and, and we have a greater revelation of who he is, we become a light to a broken world. We become a reflection of this, this, the light of the world, Jesus himself, to a broken world. We demonstrate that through our love for him, through our actions and through our attitudes and the way we live, we become the light of the world. But he says, however, if you don't do this, and this is where I think we fall into the trap most often than not, that while we have eyes that wander onto other things, if we don't do this, he says, we'll be full of darkness. And he says, actually, the greatest darkness is when you think there is light in you. The, your, your, light, the greater, your darkness is so great if you have somehow come to the conclusion when we assess our souls 
and Cecil State where we're at, and we trick ourselves into thinking that our nominal love for God, our nominal pursuit after Him is deep and genuine rather than shallow and artificial. That when we do that, Jesus says right at the end, your darkness is great. Because He says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If we fool ourselves and think, now I've got my eyes on Jesus, meanwhile they're all wondering, how great is the darkness within us? And so the, the, the question that I have for you this morning is how beautiful are your eyes? Are they healthy? Is there an undivided loyalty toward this Jesus? And, and, and may I suggest the way we're going to find the answer to that is not necessarily checking yourself uh, the answer, but asking the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. Because emotions are so tricky. They're so blended in and our thoughts are all messy and, and half the time we don't even know what we're thinking or what we're feeling. But the reality is we need to go to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to, uh, to show us how clearly, because He sees clearly what our emotions are and why we're feeling and where our heart is at. We see this uh, shown for us in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. David speaking here says this. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He has just gone on before in the psalm to say, Lord, you know the, the words before I say them. You know my thoughts before the, I speak them. You know me intricately. You know every detail of me. You, like a surgeon, are able to divide the good and the bad within me. And now he goes, now show me where I ought to live. And so we ought to run to God and say, where do I need to improve? How have I lost loyalty to you? What am I focusing on too much? And then respond to that and change. And then we see in verse 16 here, we see that she responds to him pretty much with the exact same words. You know, when you, I don't know if this was your case, it was in mine embarrassingly enough in some of my relationships. But you know, when, the, when she says, I love you, and you respond, I love you back. I love you, no, I love you. I know I love you, I love you. That kind of like really young love that, that, that happens, it seems to be the case here. He, she nearly repeats the same words that he has just said, just slightly differently. And, and she says this, Behold, you are beautiful, uh, my beloved, truly delightful. And she responds to his response of love. And, and this is our relationships that, that happen naturally. When we, our love creates more love. And so with the, with the relationship with God, he, uh, our love comes because he has loved us first. God has loved us and therefore we love him and we love others really well as, as a result of his love for us. And I know as I've chatted to people throughout the series, there have been some who have gone, man, this is amazing, it's so good to hear, but there have been one or two that have also come to me and gone, Joe, this is so uncomfortable. It is so hard to think of God to love me like this as we spoke about the grandeur of his love in the, the second week of the series, Your Love is Better Than Wine. And we, we spoke about that and, and people were just going, I find it hard to believe. And I, and I want to acknowledge that that, is, that might be your feeling this morning, but I want to tell you it doesn't change the reality of his love for you. He truly does love you with an incredible amount of love. His love is full. It is everlasting. It's steadfast. It does not change. He loves you so much. And, and it's not because of the actions that you have done. It's not because you have earned his love, but rather what we see in Scripture, that before you could do anything in your sinfulness, he loved you. 
We see that in, uh, in uh, a passage in Romans 5 verse 28. It says, but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he loves you with the fullness of love and he will keep on loving you and he has no plans on changing that. But the call for us in this, this grandeur of love that we've spoken about so far in this series is to come and enjoy it. Is to come and delight in it. Not just to know it theoretically, not just to talk about it, but to come and experience it and know it. And we see this, what she says, she continues in verse 16, she says, our couch is green, the, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. They're out in the garden. They are going for a walk. They might be having a picnic under the trees to just enjoying the greenery with no distractions around them. And for those of you who are married, this is a phenomenal principle to put in place, to go out and have a date. No distractions, no kids. They clearly didn't have kids. I don't know any picnic that would be spoken about this with kids involved. Chaos. This is not cedars. This is, this is danger. Uh, but, but there is this clear no distractions around them whatsoever. And they're just enjoying each other's company alone with that. And, and so for those of you married this week, you go ahead and have a date and do so without distractions. This lady, this lady isn't home distracted by the TV watching the Real Housewives of Jerusalem, you know? <laughs> He's not watching the Formula One the, of the, the camel racing. That isn't taking place. There's no, just, there's no TV around. This is, this is quality time taking place. Put the, go away where there's no TV, where there's no kids and enjoy each other's company. But the, the spiritual application this morning for us is that we ought to be spend time with Christ like that. There is this necessity, if he loves us with such a grandeur of love, that there is this necessity to enjoy it with no distractions around us, to have quality time with him, spending time in his word, spending time praying, spending time meditating upon what we've read, listening to him, asking him and listening. How often do we do that? The danger is we live in a society with so much distraction that we can't just sit still. That's why when there's load shedding, we nearly have a heart attack. Because what are we gonna do with ourselves for three hours? That's why we have a generator at home. Because we gotta make sure that the light's on so I can watch the football, but it breaks while the football's going on. Sorry, I can't speak about it. But there's, there, is this, there is this need to spend quality time with Jesus. How's it going? Is, are you distracted by many things? Because there are many things to distract you. But are you having quality time with him? And may I suggest to you that if you are not doing this, this, this uh, ability to be able to say like the bride, you are beautiful and my delight is gonna become hard to say. It is only the person who spends quality time, puts time aside, listens to Christ, comes to enjoy him for who he is, is the person who's gonna be uh, experiencing the fullness of his love. The love is given to all, but it's those who will come and enjoy it that truly understand the significance of it. And so if you're going, I don't, I don't, I don't know if God loves me like this, the way to find out is to come and in, in experience it through the quality time with him. Put that time aside. And I'm not gonna give you how you should do that or the, this is the hours in the morning that you should wake up. Or your life's all different. But are you setting that time aside with him? Make sure you do so. And then, and then he responds to her in verse two, and he or in chapter two, verse two. She has just gone on to say she, that she's a lily of the valleys. I'm just a normal flower. I'm just like a lily in the valley with all the other lilies. And, and he goes, well, he, he goes and says to her, no, he says in verse two, as a lily amongst the brambles, a lily among the thorns. 
so is my, my love among the young women. And, and as we talk about Jesus' love here, we've got to realize that his love that we are speaking about isn't this airy-fairy type love. It isn't a love that it goes off to dreamland and then you come back to reality at some point, but rather the love of Christ happens among the thorns. That we experience the love of Christ in and among the hardships. There is no removal from this world in order to experience it, but rather his love for us is meant to be experienced as we do life. Uh, and and we, we see this in, in John 17, verses 14 and 15. Jesus is praying here to the Father, and he says this. He says, I have given them your word, and, and the world has hated them because they are not uh, of the world, as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I do not ask that you take them out. Jesus is not going to expect that the Father remove us from this world so that we might experience his love, but rather the fullness of his love is experienced in this world. And so in those famous words in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, Paul writes and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him and loved us. This, 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 so far, the section clearly states that this is the Christian experience. That the Christian is, is not immune to suffering. We're not immune to famine. We're not immune, immune to persecution or, or danger or, or the sword or, or nakedness. That these are parts of the reality that we find ourselves in. But it goes on to say in verse uh, 37, it says, No, in all these things. He answers his question, Shall any, in, anything separate us from this love? He says, No, because in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Christ who loves us. No, nothing will be able to separate his love. We are to experience his love in this. And as a result of who we are in Christ and his incredible love for us, it says we are more than conquerors. The word that is used here is the word that was used for Achilles and Hercules. These mythical legends. No, we are like them when we are in Christ. We are more than that. And we will overcome these things because Christ's love is for us in those tribulations, not outside of it. And so we, we experience this love. And so he goes on to say then, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want you to see that this is not a puppy dog love. This is a strong, powerful love. This is love that is not affected by the difficulties that we go through life. This is a love that is for you and is powerful. This is not just a shepherd little boy that is running around after this girl and making these grand promises. No, he's king. He, he's strong. He's ruler. He, he has the power behind his words. Yeah, and so his love is, is far grander than any other love that there is because he's able to come through in moments where no other love can come through. He, he overcomes and he empowers us with his love because he himself is grand. He himself is big. This is not our love we're speaking about in response to him, but his love to us even when we ourselves are fickle and run away. It is strong and powerful. And we've got to make sure that we have this perspective of God when things get tough. 
So often we have the perspective that our situation determines the way God loves us. So when things are going well, God loves me, but when things are going bad, clearly he doesn't. We allow our circumstances to determine how we view God's love, and that's the wrong way to do it. We need to let God's love determine how we see our circumstances. He loves me. He loves me through this. And so when, when, when the finances get really, really difficult and, and money is tight, so what are we doing? We, we're going, aren't I more valuable than the birds? Doesn't he love me more than the birds? And he promises that he takes care of them and then he will take care of me. I can, I can trust that his love hasn't abandoned me in this moment. He will give me my daily bread. That when others have abandoned us and, and don't love us, when, when things have gotten hard, we can be sure that he hasn't. That we can be sure that the one who left the glories of heaven and came to earth to give his life out of love for us and who has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, surely he won't. Surely he is still with me. And then when death is knocking at the door and it's just inevitable around the corner and we will lose our lives or loved one will lose their lives, don't we, aren't we certain that the God who has died to give us eternal life will sustain that? And he will make sure that we are with him? And those we might leave behind, he will continue on loving them because he loves them with the fullness of love just as much as he loves me. That we are able to say, oh, death, where is your sting in light of this incredible love? Nothing more. In light because he has raised again and he has promised that though he has predestined us, he, will, he, though he, he predestined us, he called us. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Certain and true that we will be with him again. This is the incredible nature of God's love. It is experienced in a broken world. Are you going through hardships today? The love of Christ is for you now. It is, you can experience it now, not when things get better. No, in the midst of your brokenness and in this broken world, this powerful, strong, mighty, glorious love that does not change is for you. It is exactly what we need to live and survive in this broken world. And she gets that. And so she responds in verse 3. She says, an apple tree am, uh, among the trees of the forest. Again, she's going tit for tat with him. She's copying what he says in, in a way. An apple tree among the f- trees of the forest. So is my beloved among the young men. There, there, is, there is no one. There are many forest trees, but there's only one apple tree. And in this world that is broken, Jesus is exactly what we need. He is the apple tree in which we need that is different from the rest of the worlds. The rest of the world will promise things to you, but it is in Christ that you get what you need. And notice what she does. She does three things. We're just going to look at three things. She comes and she sits down under the tree. She comes and finds rest. In a broken world, are you, are you needing rest today in the world that you live in? In your life, rest is only found under Christ. She comes and says, come and bring your burdens to him today. Jesus says his famous words in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need that today? It's in Christ and Christ alone. He is the apple tree which you can find this under. And do you notice that she's not working? She's not trying to earn his love. She's not in the kitchen cooking, is she? She's not trying to impress him with, with work and service. She's just resting. She's just sitting. 
And the same is with Christ. And I know this is so hard for those of us in the land in this camp who, who lean towards legalism in our hearts. That we battle so often with trying to just realize that I can come and enjoy the love of Christ and I don't have to try and earn it. That I don't have to somehow uh, come with the right footing and, and I can only really come boldly today because I have done well today. But, I can, but what we've seen here is no, she just comes and rests. She just enjoys him. She just delights him. She just sits. And, and I want you to consider Mary and Martha today, that story of Jesus and his disciples arrive at Mary and Martha's house and he starts to teach. And, and Martha gets straight into the kitchen and she starts to work. She's got Jesus and 12 disciples and maybe some other guests in which she needs to feed. There's a lot of, that is a lot of food to prepare. And her sister Mary just doesn't have anything, want to do anything with that. She's just going to go sit at Jesus' feet and listen. And Martha, out of much frustration, comes to Jesus and says, tell my, teeth, my sister to come and help me. I'm slaving and working here. And he says, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. She has chosen to enjoy me. How many of us who are Marthas need to be more like more Marys and come and sit at the feet of Jesus and just rest in him? And find rest for your souls. Stop striving to impress him. He loved you before you did anything to move toward him. Just come and enjoy him. Come and do so. The, the next thing that we see here, she sits under the shadow of the tree. Which is something that stood out to me because in the previous week's text, we looked and saw that she was burnt by the sun. She had been working hard in the vineyards and her skin had gotten red by the sun. That was an embarrassment to her. But yet she just comes and sits under the tree and she finds protection from the hot day sun. This is exactly what we need in a world that is chaotic and against us, where there's pain and suffering, where there's so much brokenness and sin that we can find cover for ourselves in Jesus. Psalm 90, 91 verses 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the mighty. I will say, my refuge and my fortress in whom I trust. Or Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's our refuge. He's the one who defends us from the world who attacks us, we can go to him for refuge, but he's also our strength. He empowers us. He gives us strength to continue in this world. And, and then it says he's a, a very present help. What I love about this is that you don't have to run far to find this protection. The shadow and the tree is near to you, close by. All you have to do is go to, right to him. The, the, there's no work that needs to be done to find, to run to this Jesus Christian. You are, he is right there. You can just fall into his shadow and enjoy his protection, his protection. The next thing that we see is that she eats of this tree. She eats of this tree. And while all the other trees might promise protection and, and a place for rest, none of them promise satisfaction and sustenance. And this is exactly what we need in a broken world. If you're walking around in, in a forest by yourself and you're hungry and, and faint, there's the eating the bark off the other trees will not help. What will help is a delicious apple. That will certainly get you going, give you the energies that you need to be able to continue. It will give you the sustenance to be carry on with your journey. And so Jesus is like this. He is different to the rest of the world. The rest of the world will promise you many things. 
It will promise you satisfaction. It will promise you sustenance. It will promise you that that is what it needs. And we have, in our weakness and in our uh, gullibleness, have fallen into the trap of going after the things of the world. And you will know it through experience that it does not sustain long enough. That it does not give you what you need. It does not give you the life that you need. It can only be found in Christ. Jesus is what we need in this world in order to sustain and move forward. Nothing else can give you the satisfaction and joy that you're longing for, church. It is only found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus gives us an example of this in, 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 in John 6, verse 35. Um, it, the, a crowd has come to him and have asked for food. He has just fed the 5,000. The next morning they wake up, they're hungry again. They want more food. And they come to him and say, give us more food. We are hungry. And he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What you need is me. Nothing else can, can sustain you. Nothing else can give you life. It is in me and me alone. Or, or in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anything else out of Christ will steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life, but not just eternal life, but abundancy of it. And have life abundantly. Or, or in uh, Psalm 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul he fills with good things. Satisfaction for your soul is found in God alone. Or in Psalm uh, 16, verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life. There is life when we follow Christ. That's where abundancy of life is found in pursuing after him and following his paths for us through his word, through his guidance. In him, there's a, a fullness of joy. Notice that's experience. It's a fullness, it's experiential. You don't experience joy just by knowledge, but it's something, you know a fullness of joy by experiencing it. We can experience it in Christ. And again, he goes on to say, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It is lasting and endless. The rest of the world fails. They'll give you moments and glimmers of things to enjoy, but in Christ, in Christ alone, do you find a lasting thing. This is why the apple tree stands out from the rest of the trees of the forest, because it sustains and gives us joy that we are longing for. This is exactly, Jesus is exactly what we need in this broken world. And, and, she, and she gets this. She, she knows that the apple tree is what everyone needs. And so in verse 7, uh, right at the, uh, the end of our section, we see that she says, this, she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by gazelles, or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And every parent of a teenager goes, amen to that. She knows as she sings the song, this tune about how great the groom's love is, that every lady that is hearing it is going to want it. But she also knows that they must not go awaken it because if they go and try to find it in the wrong places, they're going to miss, some, miss out on the truth thing. So don't awaken it. And the spiritual application for us is this this morning, that because this Jesus is exactly what we need, we must not go after artificial experiences. He is what we need. We mustn't go after things that try to recreate the same experience, but not Christ. And that, and that can be a dangerous place. It can be in places of concerts where we put on big shows and big movements that stir up emotion, but don't lead us closer to this Jesus. It can be things that try and, 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 and stir our, our hearts for other things, but don't really present us Christ. 
The need is that we must not go after quick fixes to, to, to emotions or artificial things that might make us feel good, even if they wrap themselves up in Christianity, but rather we are to pursue after Christ and Him alone, for He alone sustains. A tree that looks like an apple tree with polystyrene apples isn't going to sustain you. It might look it, it might feel it, but to the taste and to the, and to the energy that you need, you're not going to get it. Go after the real thing and do not settle for anything less. But the next thing she also does is she shouts it from the rooftops. She also tells everyone, Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken this too early. Oh, oh world that is looking for this, this, this satisfaction, don't go after other things. There's this apple tree that I need to tell you about. The satisfaction that you are looking for cannot be found in the experiences that you are trying out. The satisfaction that you are looking for, the longing of your souls can only be found in Jesus. She proclaims the church, this is what we ought to do to a broken world. This is what a broken world needs. If we need this to survive in a broken world, the broken world needs Jesus. And we, like this, this bride, need to make sure that we shout it from the rooftops that we have found what they need and because we have experienced this love ourselves. Those friends, those families, those colleagues, those neighbors of yours that you, that you sometimes roll your eyes at because of the way they live, what they need is not more of those experiences, but what they need is Christ. That family member that Lawrence asked you to pray for today, what they need is not to become better people. What they need is Jesus. And we have tasted and we have seen. And what we need to be doing is telling people about this incredible love. And as we enjoy his love for us, as we enjoy it, so we start to love others. And we also want to let that, ex uh, that joy be so grand that explodes out of us and we tell other people about it. This is what we were created for. This whole thing. To enjoy Jesus to know him, to know him, not, not just in a head knowledge, but in an experiential way, to, to love him and to know his love, but to make his love known and to tell others about it. Let us pray. Father, I, I thank you so much that this incredible love that we have been speaking about this morning is not a love that is uh, absent from the realities of this world and the life that we live in. But you love us with such a grand love that even in the hardships of life and even in this broken world that your love prevails and we in you can overcome. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a church that you would help us to be a people that have our eyes fixed on this Jesus, that we would have an undivided loyalty, that we would not be distracted by the things of this world, but rather our eyes would be set on you and you alone. And within us, there would be this uh, radiant light that, uh, that shines within us as we get a grand knowledge of who you are, but also that we would be radiant to the world, a world that is broken, a world that needs this Jesus that we would be a people that would shout it from the rooftops, that we have found Christ, we have found the longing of every human soul, and it is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our reality, not something we just speak of, 
but something we know and experience. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. We will have some coffee outside. Enjoy some fellowship with each other, and we'll see you next week.